I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. International rugby is back and so are we here on Full Contact. Over the course of the next eight weeks I'll be joined by the biggest and best voices in the game to dissect all the latest from the up-and-coming Autumn International Series and beyond. Eddie Jones has nailed his colours to the mast with arguably his boldest squad selection yet. Well, he did discard, he did discard Jamie George because he had to bring him back in, but he has discarded... Temporary, at least, George Ford and both Vonnie Polar brothers. But he's uh, included foreign cap players, Marcus Smith being one of them. But Owen Farrell still remains as captain. And we'll look, we'll have to have a look at uh, how those two could coexist in the same side and see what impact some of the new faces will have on England's tactics over the next month. The All Blacks return to the Northern Hemisphere for the first time since 2018. And they look a different side to the one that toured three years ago. We'll assess how they're looking ahead of the weekend's clash with Wales as well as the further tests with Ireland and France later in the month. And we'll be speaking to none other than the former all-black captain and great Sean Fitzpatrick. England's women begin their preparation for next year's World Cup with back-to-back fixtures against New Zealand starting this weekend. We'll be speaking to World Cup winner Rachel Burford about how Simon Middleton's side is shaping up ahead of the Autumn Series. And we'll also be discussing the RFU's bid to stage the 2025 World Cup 2. And we'll be discussing the state of the other home nations with Wales and Scotland both in action this weekend, as well as answering all your questions as usual. And I'm delighted to welcome back alongside me once again former England Sevens captain Rob Vickerman. Hello, Rob. Hello, Brian. Nice to be here. It's nice to be back, isn't it? It is nice to be back. Um, Let's start with England, I suppose we we should do. Um, What did you make of the squad when it was announced? Was it what you expected? Um, you never know with an Eddie squad announcement, partly anticipating some sort of shock and change, and we certainly saw that. Usually it's through the omission of the players people hope to see, yeah. whereas this time it was with the omission of people you expect to see. So big call to leave out the Saracens contingent. Um, and I do find it really interesting how people's debates often start around the negative side of things. But in terms of the positives, very excited to see the younger crop get their chance post a little bit of exposure in the July test against USA and Canada. Certainly Radwan, he's one of my favourites, bit of northerner as well in there. It's always good for the grit. And then clearly Marcus Smith and Don Brandt getting that chance. Talk about form players and they've managed to stay in that form long enough to get the shout. Uh, well, I mean, Jones himself, he said that he'd picked the squad with one eye on the forthcoming World Cup 2023. Um uh, I said for the first time in a long time, I don't think the results in this series are of the paramount importance. I think decent performances are of paramount importance and what we find out about players just as important. 
Um, and obviously you'd like the wins, but against South Africa, uh, where we struggled before, you know, I'm more interested to see how they go about trying to unlock these uh, these better defences. Because with players like Smith, we've seen, uh, uh, certainly at club level, that his range of distribution, a bit like Finn Russell with the Lions when he came on in the third test, he's able to put runners into spaces. He's a running threat himself. And for me, England have struggled when they've just sent one-out runners into set defences and then got a slow ball and funnily enough had to kick. And I want to see them trying something different. It won't always come off, but as you know, the one thing the defences cannot cope with is offloads and being pulled from pillar to post and not knowing where the player will actually take the ball into contact. It's chaos, chaos theory. That's what Eddie Jones speaks about. That's what all coaches will cite as the hardest thing to defend against. And what I do find interesting about selection is when people mention the World Cup and it just feels so far away, if my maths are right, it's 22 games until the World Cup starts. So it's a massive amount of time. Think about how different that squad will look in 2023 as to what it is now. So I just think, yeah, you're right, get those systems in place. The thing that I find most interesting, and it was actually, it was Francois Pina that said this, the most successful World Cup teams that have ever been have all been built around one really strong domestic team. Now, if you look at that at the moment, Leicester getting back to their resurgence that they've had previously, it actually would be Quinns. And how do you try and bottle what Quinns do in an international environment? Because it's just <laughs> carnage. Yeah. It's brilliant, it's entertaining, but it probably won't replicate at, at test level because of the intensity. No, I mean, I, I, talking about South Africa, how they can uh, how they can afford, well, you can see how they can afford because they've got DLND and AM, but, you know, someone... Like Esther Hazen, who's just been blamed brilliantly yeah. for Queens and been, you know, uh, been the backbone of a lot of the good things they've done and com- not completely overlooked, but obviously he can't play for for England. He's not playing for South Africa. So, uh, I look, um, could you see a place for Don Brandt and Simmons in the back row? See, that that's a good shout. And I think the whole back row recipe has been ripped up a little bit since Australia started playing around with having two sevens as a seven and eight or a you know six and a seven, where you're just looking to get the three best players on. The thing you need with a back row, again, as you know more, more than anyone, is that balance. And I think if you've got both Dombrant and Simmons, then whoever plays in that third position is going to have to be an out-and-out workhorse. You're not going to see him, like your Richard Hill type, where they're just going to be head and the bottom of the rook, which, again, I think you, know, you can look at. I, I'm disappointed not to see Earl in that squad because I think he's a real exciting player. But again, applying the law of what I just mentioned, who do you drop in, in terms of bringing Earl in? So I do think they can play together. I do think there then be a big emphasis on the graft of the other player involved. What do you think he's going to do with um, a halfback? Um, well, I know we had a bit of a chat before about this. And for me, I think you've got someone like Farrell in the wings who can always step up as a 10 if Smith, if indeed, doesn't take to it as we hope he does. I think the thing Smith needs, as he's shown for Harlequins, is experience either side of him. And when you've got Danny Kerr on one side and a get-out clause of a 17.5 stone, six foot five South African on your right, you're always going to go pretty well. So that balance is more important in terms of the 10 slot. And I, I, I like to see what Quirk can do, throw him in, knowing you've got Ben Youngs as that stalwart alongside him. The concept of Ben Youngs playing in the next World Cup is another big conversation because mm. that's a long time away and 23 games on top of his already 109 caps put him... Way, way ahead of the experience bracket. But I, I'd like to see youth employed at this point. And Quirk and Smith, why not? Why not have a go? Well, if you do that, uh, presumably Farrell will play 12. So you've got the experience to shout outside him mm-hmm. and a secondary playmaker. But if you do that, 
then I think you have to have two along it as they are, as a, you know, for someone to for for foul be foul to ship on because foul is not traditionally a ball carrier, you know, a distributor, and uh, you know the lines to allow you can cut, um, either getting the ball or for fixing defenders should create momentum and space outside him. Yeah. people can't drift. I agree with that. I mean, Mark Atkinson, I'd love to talk about this more because I actually played against Mark Atkinson way, way back in the Champo. and was like, this guy... I was going to say, where's he been? His quality. Well, he's been around the block. He, he got canned from a couple of Prem teams. Sale got rid of him a while back. He actually flourished at Bedford mm-hmm. where he was out standout player of the Championship. And then all of a sudden, he started playing games more for Gloucester and that's when he got noticed. But his skill set's the same. He is a phenomenal rugby player. But he's 31. And again, when you start talking about where his journey is, it's amazing what's been, but what's to come. So Eddie Jones has put him in there for a reason. Could it be to look at him being the ally alongside Marcus Smith to be that secondary distributor and with him being a big physical presence to also perhaps cart it up and offload? Because his offloading skills are magnificent. Well, I'd like to see them you know, trying that as a matter of, of course. I mean, the thing is, it's a risky strategy. Mm. You know, in, in tighter defences in internationals it's less likely to come off but it is the only thing that you can guarantee creates mayhem you know and if you get good enough finishes on the end of it it should create try scoring chances because you simply can't defend them I guess 10's the one big conversation the other one's a bit of gnarl up front and I'd be remiss not to ask your opinion on the hooker scenario because I can't understand why Jamie George would have been dismissed initially because he's someone who's sat patiently behind Dylan Hartley for God knows how many games. 59 caps is on presently. And then suddenly, the young pups come around with, with Blamir and, and Dolly. You're thinking, what is Jamie George's mindset at the moment now to being cast away? Well, I'll tell you what it is. You've seen him. He's been belligerent. And he's, start, you know, he's scoring tries. Uh, yeah. And he's slamming the ball down when he does it. He's angry. And that's exactly what Jones wanted. I'm absolutely certain. I'm pretty sure. I'm certainly a Mako Vinopola. And Billy Vinopola, if he is on song, will be back at some point in, uh, in and around the squad because he's got so much experience and we know what they can do and we know how they can play if they are playing well, but they haven't done for about 18 months. And I, it's as simple as this. I think he's got to want all to get really pissed off and angry. And I think you're seeing that. You know, they're playing with a, with a belligerence that we haven't seen, you know, for a while. Uh, and he's quite capable. And I always said this. Look, you just say to them, um, this is an experimental squad, but you know you haven't played well, so you have got to fight your way back in. They'll know that, and 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 he's having the um, he's having the uh, the effect. The only time that I got replaced during my career, I was so angry. I played three <laughs> games, wanting to kill people, um, and it does work. So I'm, I'm, we haven't seen. And the irony is, Jamie George is now back in because Luke Cowan, and I'm sure he'll start. By the way, yeah, I'm sure he'll start, and he should start because he's, he's the best. <laughs> Of them out there, you can bring people on from the bench. Is there anything else? Look, who would you like to see at fullback? Because um, we've had, we've tried so many people at fullback. I'm I'm a big fan of Malins, and I know he's kind of got that utility tag and played on the yeah. wing a little bit as well. But actually, fantastic rugby player. Since I've saw him play under twenties, he's so gifted, ball in hand. Mark McCall said he flourished with that year away when he went to Bristol, and he was a catalyst for them as well. Imagine playing along the likes of. Pietau in training is going to benefit him as well longer term. But I think he's a fantastic player. He is that quintessential English fullback you have in mind when you think about the guile of, of past appearances. I think he's got that wonderful confidence, ball in hand. Um, 
and he's probably learnt a lot of that from, from good alongside him who's been overlooked himself. So I think Malins for me, would be a great 15. Just as a general thing, and I, I made this point, look, I want England, you, I know you've got to play with structure, but I want them as a default option to take the option which is, le- which is less safe. Because they've done this for 18 months, they've not done it well. You're not, they're, not, they're not as good a kick and chase side as South Africa, or in fact a couple of other teams in international rugby. So that, to me, can't, shouldn't be their default mode. And whilst they've got the opportunity uh, against, uh, in a tournament, outside a tournament environment, I think they should just, you just roll the dice and see where we go. I think that's going to be the case. I don't think it'd be too challenging against Tonga. Um, no disrespect to them. I think Australia would be a challenge more so. Depends if they've got their stars with them. Um, but then South Africa, that's the acid test. Yes. And why not throw in? It's an inexperienced squad in a sense that 14 out of 34 of them have got two or less caps. And just let them create their own pathway rather than it seems to be having the Eddie print on things. But again, you know, they're, they're trying to stay in the squad. So they might have to play as he wishes rather than how they wish. The All Blacks are returning to the Northern Hemisphere this autumn for the first time since 2018. First up for them is a trip to Cardiff to take on the reigning Six Nations champions Wales. It's been a while since they toured the Northern Hemisphere and what kind of shape will they arrive in? Ian Foster signed on again till 2023 at the end of August. Joining us now to discuss all this is the former All Black hooker and captain, the legend that is Sean Fitzpatrick, who is still over here after 13 years, despite telling me he was only coming for a short sojourn of three years. Sean, why was there a bit of, there seemed to be a bit of hesitation in him in the first place, and, and what was, what's the public perception of, of him and what he's doing now? Well, uh, good afternoon, Moro. Uh, he's very much liked by, uh, within the team, obviously. Uh, they, they rate him very highly, um, but he's got a, a very tough act to follow, as Steve Hansen had had after Graham Henry, and and Ian Foster's had the same. And you know he didn't have a great year last year, uh, hence the hesitation to renew his contract. Um, so they went through through the process, and uh, I think it's a good thing, Moro, that um, they've kept him on. Um, he's got a point to prove. Um, they, you know they've got, they've got a bit to prove after what happened in 2019, and. Uh, I think the results this year in terms of the players he's developing um, is a good reflection on, on the sort of person and coach he is. For, the, for those who, who won't necessarily know uh, all the players, um, how, what are the main differences in the look under Foster now than the one, say, that lost to the World Cup semi-final? Um, there's obviously a, a few, of the, few of the old guard have, have moved on, but... Yeah, we're mid-cycle now, and he is um, developing a, a lot of young talent. Um, you know, a couple of these young kids, you know, Bridge, the winger, you know, those sort of players, a couple of them played in the World Cup final or semi-final in, in Japan and learnt pretty big lessons there. Um, but he's, he's brought some other young players through. Um, you know, Geordie Barrett playing at 15, although he's been around for a little time. Um, I think he could be one of the real stars going forward. But this this tour, Moro, that they're on at the moment, they're away for like 14 weeks uh, by the time they get back to New Zealand mid-December. Um, and as tough as it is on the families and the, and, and the players, 
it's an ideal opportunity to really develop the young talent coming through um, with a view to the World Cup being, you know, only two years out. And, you know, I think Eddie Jones made a very good comment. You know, maybe the last World Cup was just a, a tournament too far for some of the, the older players. Um, you know, going to their third World Cup was just, uh, you know, too much to ask, really. And, and with now, you know, some of these young guys that are coming through um, are really promising and have played well in the championship and, uh, and against, you know, South Africa. Hi, Fitz. It's Rob Vickerman here. I've watched a fair bit of the old Super Rugby Atura and uh, been really impressed with some of the young guys coming through, as you mentioned. And then Bowden Barrett suddenly comes along again and the young lads are then having to fight with one of the world's best. Now, for you, where do you see Bowden Barrett playing alongside Mwonga? You mentioned Geordie Barrett. There's Mackenzie and Will Jordan as yeah. well. There's a real blessing of riches. Who takes the nod for you? Um, yeah, hi, Rob. Um, Aotearoa. Is, that, is how you pronounce that, mate. I went, I went full on Maori there. Was that not good enough? Atiura. Too much KT. Uh, no. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm a fan of Jordan, of um, Bowden. Um, whether he plays at 15 or 10, I'm not sure. You know, there's, there's real talk about him going back to where he made his name for himself as off the bench. Um, you know, I think Mawanga's is going to be the starting 10. Um, and as you say, the riches they have in, in the attacking players uh, that they can bring off the bench. Um, the Barrett uh, Bowden has to be somewhere there, uh, whether whether it's off the bench or starting at ten. And I and I think he's got better and better during the championship. He had you know six months in Japan, um, and it took him a little while to get to get back up to speed. Um, but yeah, we're we're very lucky to have have players, players like him around um, being available. Uh, well, uh, Wales aren't going to have uh, a lot of their, well, English players, and um, they, I think that weakens them in a sense of depth. I don't think the, the starting 15 is particularly weak, but how do you see th- that going? Um, yeah, we, we played, you know, the All Blacks played on Saturday, so they're they're travelling at the moment. Uh, they sent uh, 11 players across, I think, on Friday. So they, they arrived Friday, so they've got a good week down in Cardiff to get to get ready. Um, you know, they... they uh, the reason I said that this tour is very important is two years out from the World Cup, and as you rightly said, Moro, they haven't been in this part of the world for a little while. Um, so it's a good opportunity to, to get some World Cup preparation in and playing against, you know, three of the best teams in the world. And no disrespect to Italy, but to play France and Ireland plus Wales at home um, is going to test a few of these guys who have played very well. Um, but as as you know, Moro, when you get to that door of being under pressure, um, do you want to open it and jump in? And and some of these kids in 2019 didn't open that door, um, so they're going to get exposed to real pressure um, in the next four weeks, which will be good to see. You know the the. Akira Iwanis, for example, who, you know, they put a lot of time and effort into him. He's now playing at six. Um, he has got such a game in him. Um, but it's, it's taken a long time for him to develop that. So it'll be interesting to see how players like him, uh, Rico Iwani playing at 13, is he, is he the right man to play at 13 um, in these pressure situations? And we're going we're gonna to find out in the next month. Just finally, uh, 
Can you explain to me what the managed isolation and quarantine thing, thing is going about? Because I've been hearing some people have been a bit annoyed about preferential treatment. Well, are they, are they just whinging for no reason? What, what, what's the matter um, with them? Uh, yeah, so, well, some of the sports, some of the sports people um, are getting. You know, the, the All Blacks have 65 places. I, I, I think in, in managed isolation when they get back. And they have to, to go to MIQ for two weeks, as, as we do. I'm going back before Christmas and was lucky enough to get two spots, but purely just going into a ballot system, Moro. Oh, um, he's lucky they all came out then, isn't it? Well, that's, that's a real lucky thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it literally is. You know, people like, people like Ryan Fox, our, you know, our golfer who plays on the European Tour, <laughs> he, he luckily got a spot. Um, but there is the more some, you practice, um, the luckier you get. That's what he's saying, isn't it? Yeah, that's what they say. But it's—I uh, don't know how long it's going to go on for. But it's—you know—it's really—it's affecting a lot of people. It's—you know—you you can't. A lot of New Zealanders can't go home. Yeah, which is yeah. which is not right. Well, look, we're glad to have them over here. Uh, I, I've been—you know—all black tours—they need they, they, just as they need the experience of coming up here for the World Cup. Um, the Northern Hemisphere needs to play against the All Blacks. They, they yeah, need him I'm, to be around here. I'm like you, Moro. I'm a, I'm a huge fan, and I, I can't wait for them to get here, and I'm going to Cardiff on Saturday. Um, I'm like a kid in the candy store, uh-huh. uh, waiting you know, to go to well, the old Cardiff Arms and Principality. Um, it's going to be really special. And then and also to, to go to Ireland and and then to play against France, who I think are sort of the odds-on favourites at the moment uh, for 2023. Um, as start to France will be a good challenge. Last one for me, Fitzy. I know you mentioned about the excitement of fixtures, but how good would it have been to get that rearranged England game in? And why didn't that happen? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Talk to Bill Sweeney and Mark Robinson. I think that's probably where it's probably at. I asked TJ, uh, though. He didn't have much information for me, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it's a professional game now, Rob, do you realise? It's about money. Exactly. But surely England, New Zealand, that's where the coffers are. That's the big money game. He would have think so, yeah. Well, mate, now now you've done us on a trade deal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I can't, we can, I can't do a harker now. I can't believe that. <laughs> I know. Uh, is that a protected species? Sean, mate, uh, it's nice to speak to you. And hopefully we'll meet up soon. It's been too long, mate. Thank you very much. Okay, buddy. See you, guys. See you, Robert. Cheers. See you, Rob. Um, Rob, um, do Wales have a chance? They, you know, they're at home. Uh, look, their squad is weakened in the sense that you know, so, some of the familiar players. But uh, to me, uh, it's just that they don't have the, 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 the bench that they might have had. The quality they're going to put on the field is fine. Yeah, I've watched a fair bit of Welsh rugby the last few weeks. actually commentated on Cardiff against Dragons this weekend gone. And they've got some really good units in how they play the game. So they've got good centre pairings. Their back row is amazing. Tame Basham is going to be a star the next four games, undoubtedly. So I do think they've got more of a chance than perhaps people look at on their team list. But then you get Shane Williams coming out thinking there might be a 50-point game. You see the New Zealand team demolish an albeit second-rate USA team. But I think Wales have got the best autumn programme. I think it's going to be challenging, obviously, first two games against New Zealand, South Africa. Then they've got Fiji and Australia. They're going to come out of this autumn with a lot of learnings and a lot yeah. of development. And that, yeah. that's pretty scary for the rest of the home nations, bearing in mind they're the Six Nations champs. It is a continual mystery to me why um, England don't play New Zealand more often. 
It's always been the case. I remember playing going playing Australia like ten times, and New Zealand once with England, and that and that was in the World Cup. I mean, it's just a, a stupid thing. Twice in the World Cup. I mean, in, in World Cups, I don't know why that seems to happen, but it does. Right. Well, let's talk cash then, because. In recent announcements that Silver Lake have come in looking at a 12.5% or initially 15% stake of the All Blacks commercial rights. They valued at 3.1 billion New Zealand, which is £1.6 billion. If you're going to want to get return on your commercial rights, you get them to play England at Twickenham. Mm-hmm. So financially, it makes no sense. And the whole structuring of this Autumn Nation series is nonsensical because you've got 14 teams across Europe. You've essentially got the best teams in the world playing in a four-week window and there is no synergy, there is no thought process, and it's individual unions who are dictating programmes and schedules. The reason why apparently New Zealand and England didn't happen this year, but was forecast last year, is they agreed their fixtures two years in advance. Yeah. So New Zealand playing Italy, believe it or not, rather than England, who were playing Tonga, that was, that was 18 months ago. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, with, with Wales, um, two years from a World Cup, do they need to look... Uh, um, uh, Hard to look at Alan Wynne Jones, but he'll be 38 by the time 2023 20, rolls along. That's slightly depressing because he's my age group. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I think Wales are on a really good trajectory. Actually, I think they've got a coach there who understands how they want to play short term and a view of long term. They've got the buy-in with the regions. As I mentioned, the amount I've watched in the last two or three weeks of them, they've got that strength in depth. I think they're quietly confident building, and a European World Cup is going to benefit them as well. And there'll be a lot of travelling support with them. So I think Wales are. The dark horses towards 2023. Uh, Scotland, 12 uncapped players in the squad start against Tonga. Uh, weekend in Greg Townsend says the, the one thing that's missing from their squad is belief that they can mix it with the best in the world. Well, um, to do that and to believe it, they've got to. Doesn't It's a chicken and egg situation, I'm afraid. But, um, you know, I thought... Well, the, the, the difficulty with the last six nations of them, you got to a point where they thought, right... They're no longer bullied anymore. And then they had one game when they did get undone physically. And then they came back again. And it's that consistency they need. That builds the belief because a consistent performance underpins everything. So when Gregor Townsend is looking at that, you know, with his 12 uncapped players, he's got to be careful, I think, uh, with a side like Scotland to keep momentum going as well. Because I think, you know, losses um, for them with a, with, with, with a number of changes they could make could be unduly... Uh, damaging. So I think he's got to he's got to have a reasonable balance to what he does. Well, I I don't really question the belief of the players. I mean, it's just the amount of players they've just not got enough strength in depth. They've got two professional teams. Is announced yeah. a forty-two man playing squad because they've got no games for four weeks in the URC. So why would you not bring them in? Yeah, they've named twelve uncapped players, but they lose they lose eight players from the English Premiership. Yeah. So actually, their main problem is just is depth of quality and getting players to probably play more together in Scotland. But who's going to do that when they get lured with, you know, the big money of the Exeters and Stuart Hoggs and, you know, French money for um, Finn Russell? It's, it's, it's a no-brainer when it comes to those decisions. I think Reg 9 doesn't help them either because they're playing this week without those English players. Um, and for me, it's a really dour time for Scottish rugby. Why don't we turn to uh, England's women because they are in action fairly shortly. They'll be looking to lay down a marker uh, in this autumn weekend because they're playing the All Blacks. They're playing the Black Ferns twice. 
First of those fixtures taking place this weekend at Sandy Park. The fixtures against New Zealand are rare. We've only had, well, we've had one since the World Cup final defeat in 2017. We'll be discussing all this fairly shortly with uh, the former England uh, and Harlequin centre, Rachel Burford. Hello, Rachel. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. I can't see you, but that that that's uh, <laughs> and if you can see me, I apologise. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, um, we we don't get to see New Zealand uh, very often, unfortunately, up here. Um, but they are the other real standout quality side in the world. How important uh, is it to get to play them? How good is it playing them tw- twice in succession? Yeah, as you say, it's probably the biggest game in women's rugby, this fixture. It's such a big spectacle um, and the opportunity to to get this these fixtures underway, you know, a year out from the World Cup is really important. Um, and to go back to back as well, I think also offers an interesting one because this weekend, you know, both teams haven't had the best international preparation, um, probably more so for New Zealand. So an opportunity to kind of see where both teams are at and then go away, analyse, put some things right and then get another opportunity next week to, you know, to put things right for one team and to continue on for another team. So it's, it's brilliant that they've got two games in concession. Uh, I'm looking, England will have to cope without Emily Scarlett, who's got a broken leg. That will be a blow. And I'm looking down the team, um, uh, the sort of familiar faces, the Cleals and so on, um, but... Who should we be looking out as, a, as, a, as emerging talent from from the women's game? Because there's quite a lot coming through. Yeah, there's a number of like youth and talent coming through, but there's also some crossover girls coming from the um, sevens that have come back into yep. the game. But you know, there's somebody like I know she's a player who's been around a lot, but she hasn't been available much because of injury. Lydia Thomas Thompson, mm-hmm. who obviously had a massive impact in the World Cup final against them. Um, but another player in the back line would be a Holly Aitchison. Um, she's been a key playmaker for GB7s and England 7s over the last few years. And now she's slotting in. And as you say, Emily Scarrett's out, which is a huge loss. But that obviously gives an opportunity as well for some players to fill that spot there. Very excited to see Holly Aitchison go. As you mentioned, Beth, I think she's going to be cracking. Um, big question around the standalone nature of these games. I know sometimes the women's games follow on a double header with the men's and you know rightly or wrongly people have their own arguments around it being a standalone but what are your thoughts on it Sunday Park and the and Saints Franklin's Garden is going to be good environment but what what do you see it as being no I think it's the I think it's the right level for for a game to be standalone I mean you were talking about the number one and number two in the world that it should be within its own right um a standalone game um over the last few years even with COVID we've seen the numbers increase in terms of eyeballs on the game so being able to fill out um, Exeter, Stanley Park and also Northampton, Franklin Gardens, you know, the biggest game in the world this is. You know, if you're not going to the World Cup next year, this is your opportunity to watch the two best teams yeah. in the world go at it. And I think it absolutely should be on standing on its own two feet. And I can't see that the, these not being a successful turnout. Um, you know, the added extra is the fact that they're live on BBC, which would get fair rivals on the game. But to experience it and to go down and to watch... The Black Ferns perform the hacker, and you know it's all of that match day experience that you won't get just so in front of your TV. But the fact that it's also on BBC adds to it. Well, I'm really pleased to say that um, you know I'm going to be working on it. Uh, I've wanted to do this for a long time. Um, I suppose the the 
the um, the criticism might come that uh, you know you um, male involved in a, in, a, in a female game and why not keep it there? But um, uh, I'm, I'm I feel quite quite honoured to be doing it. Um, uh, and as you know, I've been involved with the women's game for for quite a long time. So I shall be interested to see uh, what it's like live. Because I tell you one thing, because I've, I've seen um, the last several going back to the. Um, the, the the final that was lost at the stoop, and I've always thought that that England um, England's kicking game has not quite been as good as the Kiwis. I've always thought that they've been outgunned there. Do you think that's still the case, or have we improved in that area? No, I think we've come a long way since 2010 in that department. Yeah. Um, I think losing Katie Daly McLean is obviously. Um, a big hole, but it's filled with a big boot of Helen Arola and Zoe Harrison. Mm-hmm. Amber Reed's back, who's also got a good boot, Holly Aitchison. Um, So I think over the years, we've definitely developed that area. And I think we're seeing the level of competition in the club game. We're starting to see a much more variant of kicking within that. I think the 50-22, a lot of actually players are looking for that, which is encouraging that um, tactical side of things. Um, but it's, it's something that's coached now. It's not... Um, of the day and age where no, you don't kick a ball, only your 10 does, you know, it's in daily training. So it's definitely something that's evolved over my time that I've been involved in the crossfield kicks, you know, those kind of things, those elements never were even in conversation in 2010, let alone trying to practice it to, to make it happen in a game. Whereas now it's part and parcel of, of what we do and how we train. And, and so I think we've definitely grown in that experience and the ability to be able to do it. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, it, if you look at New Zealand, I think we're, we're evenly matched across that park as well in terms of a kicking game. Well, I, you know, I think it will be a fa- there should be two fascinating and hopefully really exciting encounters. Uh, what would be exciting as well is the RFU, uh, if they get their bid accepted for the 2025 World Cup, uh, the ambition to have games all over the country and sell out Twitter for the final. Um, I presume you'll be supporting that. Do you, do you think they've got a good <laughs> shout? Yeah, I, I really do. I think, you know, England have been leading the way on the pitch um, and off the pitch in a number of years. And I think it, it's come at a right time. It, it needs to come to England. I think it's an opportunity that we'll, we want to propose to have the best World Cup, have the most amount of um, spectators watching, um, young girls and boys being invested and wanting to watch and and hopefully, you know, that that's what inspires and captivates the audience to then go on and pick up a rugby ball. And I think we're in a really good position to do that. Um, I'd certainly be behind it. Obviously, being a part of 2010, it, it was incredible. And the impact that it had then, let alone what it could have in 2025, um, is a really, really exciting thing. And I don't think it would just have an it wouldn't just have an impact in England, it would ripple. Yeah. globally and that and that's what we need you ne- we need it to have a global effect not just an impact just in england yeah. and i think that they'll do the job to be able to do that well let's uh let, let's hope it all uh, it all comes to fruition rachel great to speak to you as always look after yourself yes uh, rob england is probably well first of all the reason why england keep being awarded male world cups is because economically powerful and it creates a lot of money for the world game um is it? Would it be the same? Obviously, it's all relative. Uh, with with a women's game, do you think? I do. Yeah, I do, in I do, terms of relative, yeah. more so. Yeah, I think you know. Look at New Zealand. 
The trouble with New Zealand is it's so isolated. They would obviously get the crowds, but it'd be a home crowd. The tourism factor wouldn't be there. If you did an English World Cup, certainly with the noise that's been made and momentum behind women's sport at the moment across the board, I think it'd be huge. Yeah, you would sell out Twickenham. And I think you would, that, you would sell out Twickenham. Yes. That would be the headline to it all. And why would you get in the way of that? I mean, it could be monumental. France have got the record for the um, highest number of people attending the game. I think it was two years ago in a Six Nations game, and there were 13,500 around that when they played it. I Can you imagine what it would be like you know, to play in the Women's World Cup final? In, in front of, well, it is for men as well, but eight, you know, that would be probably eight times bigger than, uh, or seven, six times bigger than the crowd they've ever played in front of. It would be, be phenomenal, wouldn't it? Totally. I actually don't think they'd be far off for this game. If they put this at Twickenham, I think there is enough momentum behind the women's game at the moment that it would be a significant number of people at Twickenham for it. So that's why I kind of asked the question around the standalone element to it. I actually kind of hoped, I thought she'd say, why not make it at Twickenham and we'll just take it over and it would have been brilliant. Uh, I actually know firsthand because a load of people went to watch at Doncaster when the women played there uh, last year, I think, actually. And the conversation was, that was amazing. Where can I next play? Mm-hmm. And these young girls been inspired by it. Sadly, there is no kind of top-end team within Yorkshire with the women's rugby. So a lot of them found their way to West Park Leeds, which was great. But actually... She's right, it ripples, and they are the headline, and you're going to make noise, so get it happening. Be ace. Right, listeners' questions. Uh, one from uh, an old mate of ours, Macca, talk sport commentator extraordinaire, actually. Please explain and debate how it's possible to arrange international games outside the world rugby-approved window. The window is there to avoid a free-for-all that puts clubs, countries and players into invidious positions. So why is it allowed by World Rugby? Well, Macca, I think it's like this. You can, within reason, do what you want and agree things. You just won't get the players necessarily. You can't demand them. Uh, whether it's sensible or not, I don't know. I suppose it depends on your schedule and, and, and what you want. And, and it also depends on whether you control your players. That's the point. Yeah, apart from, first of all, Googling what Invidious meant, because Fair Play <laughs> Macca is outdone himself there. I actually went into a little bit of the regs here, so you like this more, I've been a lawyer, but Reg 9 and Reg 16 were the big ones that jumped out. And essentially, apart from a whole lot of legalese, there's not a whole lot there. You're exactly right. If you co- essentially contract the players or you put the fixture on, it's then the jurisdiction of the club to let them play in it or not. Yeah. Case in point, Japan, <laughs> or Japanese clubs... They allowed Karevi to go to the Olympics. They allowed him to go and play in the rugby championship. He was a standout player for them. But now there's a big question mark about him being able to play in these European fixtures. So Karevi, Corbetti, um, McMahon, and actually I think it might be Hooper as well. There's a big cloud around them being allowed to play in these next games. And that's a case in point. If it's outside the regulated window, which is three games in November, then you do not have to release them contractually as a club. Well, it's like, do you remember when um, you know England were playing in the series and, and France suddenly couldn't play their team? They came and did very well with the second team. Well, that's because they agreed with the clubs uh, that one of these is outside the window, but they would, the clubs then said, well, yes, we will allow the players to play this number of games, but then he picked them all in the first um, you know, starting squads and he couldn't pick them in this game. I don't think he expected them to come through all that. So, so Maka, that's, that's the way... That's the way it is. I do have one further point on this, though, because I've gone pretty deep into it. And over these next games, so the five weekends encapsulating the last one just gone and the Barbarians fixture against Samoa at Twickenham, there are going to be 14 nations playing. Four home nations and France taking on nine different nations. 
why then would this not be the opportunity to say, right, let's just take November, four weekends in November, we could have a global Super Cup akin to a World Cup. You've essentially got the best teams in the world. You could maybe throw in a Georgian effort as well to bring the numbers up slightly. You could go for three pools of four, put them in the big locations around the UK and have this amazing product. Broadcast would be all over it. It would champion the game at a time when it needs it the most and it would unify what at the moment is a completely scattergun schedule. There's so many teams involved. Are you saying do this every year? Why would you not? Or even every other year. So Scotland, for example, playing Tonga, Australia, South Africa, Japan. Ireland playing Japan, New Zealand, Argentina. Wales, New Zealand, South Africa, Fiji, Australia. What would that do to the World Cup, though? It wouldn't demean it, because that's the first question people would ask. That is still going to be the prestige tournament. It's the, the quad annual, it's the big conversation. But it seems so bizarre that you've got all of these teams coming across to Europe at a time when it's meant to be more difficult than ever to do so. And there's no synergy. There's no understanding of why is this happening. It would be an amazing Super Cup. So that's my kind of research delved into. Uh, and it's a bit of a nonsense that there isn't actually something a little bit more aligned, if I'm honest. Uh, one from Progressive Rugby. Um, given the mounting evidence, while accepting none is categorical, which is a big point, parental concerns uh, on falling player numbers, while well, falling player numbers uh, in male, not falling player numbers in female, um, do you think acceptable elite players can be knocked unconscious and play the following weekend? Luke Cowan, Dickie being the obvious example. Um, I guess this is a quite a sensitive subject and one I can speak on both in terms of being post-playing but actually whilst playing and having about eight concussions in my last 18 months playing. Um, the processes and protocols in place are to protect the player. Now, if, for example, Luke Cowan Dickey was knocked unconscious then he would have to go through five steps in order to be able to qualify playing the next week. First and foremost, symptomatic. 20 symptoms you have to go through with a club doctor to say, are you feeling what you deem as normal? And that, again, is the interpretation of the player. It then progresses into light contact, light, light CV work, heavy CV work, contact work, and then team play. So no, no player can just suddenly go back into play and they have to go through these protocols. Do I think they're robust enough? I don't think they probably are, knowing that it comes down to your interpretation as a player. And if you are desperate to play, it would take strong will to remove that The only obligation. thing with that is, how will you ever get round that unless there's an independent, reliable test which can prove your life? You know, not, not talking about a lie detector, but some, you, you can say, I feel fine, but you've got some form of blood analysis or, or some scan that says, well, whatever you feel... This is the case. Well, it could do a scan. You could do brainwaves, but that's but, pretty extreme. The other thing it does do, and I'm going to do the discredit to the actual process here, there is a baseline test you have to do on a cog sport reading yeah. at the beginning of the season. But again, knowing players... That is that what players that. used to lie about? Of course they do. Uh, and it's difficult to lie, they say, because it's based on algorithms and timing. It's essentially when these pack of cards hit a certain line. It's a visual test. Yeah. But if you're not very good at that initially, and your SCAT test, which is the, the concussion assessment tool... If you're not great at that, and I must confess to hearing some hilarious efforts as someone trying to cite the months backwards, yeah. completely normal, conscious behaviour, still not able to do it, then at what point do they impact on their secondary results, which is the tested one? So I think, yeah, there's, there's definite loopholes within the player's perspective, but ultimately, these conversations are happening more regularly. The second part of this question is around almost the parental side of things, and I must again confess to now coaching... 10-year-old kids who have just been introduced to tackling, you have got to get that tackling technique right. And my fear is that isn't happening across the board. 
and then you add to it, then you'll now be limited to 15 minutes as an advised amount of time to get those contact points across. That, again, is a bit of a concern from a coaching perspective. Yeah, I mean, this is a loaded question yeah. because there's so many assumptions in it. Mounting evidence, uh, in parenthesis, not categorical. Player concerns, falling numbers, not necessarily true. Um, the elite players are knocked unconscious. I mean, look, the, nobody wants players to get hurt. And everything should be done that's reasonable to do that. And that's your legal duty. Um, the problem comes in establishing causation. And even if you do establish causation, the question of legal liability is a completely different matter. And I'm not sure if with my lawyer's head on, and I've been an expert witness and litigated in this many times, I'm not sure the liability issue is clear-cut at all. In fact, it's not. Nor is the date of, um, is the, uh, date of knowledge and, and so on and so on. So I, I'm not entirely sure how helpful this is, uh, sh- shoving you know, questions like this around. Because if we have sensible and serious suggestions like limiting the amount of contact in training and so on that's helpful, that's fine. But just shouting is, 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 not, is, is not helpful and nor, nor is it going to make anyone move. Rugby's not, for me, I've never seen anyone at any level take this in Cavalier. You might, say, you might be able to say that it wasn't good enough, that whatever, but I've never, I do, I've never known anyone say, I don't care about this issue. I think it's, it's unimportant. Everyone I know from the RFU, all the medical people, you know, have been acting, you know, with the best of intentions. May not always have been right, but uh, but I'm not entirely sure how helpful the process is if you go this way. Anyway. Can I ask my question now? Yes. It's just been brought in that tights are indeed now allowed to be worn <laughs> yes. in the game. How much would you have been paid, Moro, to have wore tights playing? Hey, mate, if I was allowed to be paid, I'd have worn them. With I used to wear these leggings that were made... Uh, our Harlequin colours, the old ones, was great, and they were stitched. And they were handmade by uh, by an old lady in the crowd, and they were great, and they looked, they looked really <laughs> strange, and I, I thought they were fantastic. But I tell you what, if it's a choice between that and three degree burns, third degree burns on 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 four uh, G pictures, which which don't happen often but can do, then uh, then look, you know, the, the, it, it's it's. <laughs> <laughs> but I tell you what, it wouldn't be good for. It wouldn't be good for second rows packing behind props and hookers with them on, actually, because again, you get them rubbing on the. As opposed to skin, you get lycra being rubbed on your face. That that might well cause trouble. They might just be happy there's an extra layer for the flatulence protection there. Exactly. I guess, but extra extra point of uh, advertising space. Yeah, that's true. You could say absolutely. You just need more room to sell those, and I'm sure that were there. Look, that's all we have time for. This week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with the Televerse. Great to be back. Huge thank you to my co-host, Rob Vickerman, and to my guests, Sean Fitzpatrick and Rachel Burford. If you've enjoyed this episode, you can check out all our previous episodes by subscribing. It's actually registering, because it's all free, to the Full Contact podcast channel. A reminder that we'll be here through the all of the Autumn series and beyond. And next week, we will be joined by one of uh, the players in Eddie Jones' England squad, so you won't want to miss that. We'll also have the fallout of the Wales versus New Zealand, as well as the England Red Roses match with the New Zealand. But until then, it's goodbye.
Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 